The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. If you have your Bibles this morning, please, Psalm 1, Psalm 1. I love to preach from Psalm 1 for many, many years. Psalm 1 was called our nation's psalm. And that's because it was George Washington's favorite psalm. Now, whenever George Washington had preachers, and it was almost every week, multiple times, come out to preach to the troops during the Revolutionary period, he always asked them to preach from Psalm 1. And when people would say, why do you always want Psalm 1? He said, because there's a promise in Psalm 1 that absent this promise, there never will be an America. And what a great promise it is. Psalm 1 says very, very carefully, if you and I will do three things, God says, do these three things, and whatever you do will prosper. doesn't say maybe. It says, do these three things, and whatever you do will prosper. But he says, don't do these three things, pastor. And God says, you will be unstable like the chaff dust. Let's get ready to read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, verse 1, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now verse 3 is the promise. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, His leaf also shall not wither. And say out loud the next phrase together. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Can I ask you a question? Why would anybody want to navigate life without that promise? Why would anybody not want the promise of the Almighty God to say, do these three things, and whatever you do will prosper. But look at verse 4. The ungodly are not so. Now, circle the word ungodly. Uh, We use this word today, but again, we don't use it often this way. Uh, Normally, when we use the word ungodly, Pastor, we're searching for an adverb that describes something that's despicable. If something's so horrible, so bad, so contemptible, so awful, and we can't think of any other adverb to tag to it, we'll say, well, that's just just ungodly. That's not the word here. The word ungodly used here was addressed to Christians. The word un means not. Godly means God's way. If something's not God's way, it's ungodly. Now, God says, do it my way, and whatever you do will prosper. But he said, the ungodly, don't do it my way, are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. I grew up on cattle farms. My family was in the cattle slaughtering business. My dad and my granddad slaughtered five to 7,000 head of cattle every week. And every year we'd put in thousands and thousands of acres of corn to feed them. And when we'd harvest all of that corn, 
the chaff dust would be everywhere. There's a dust that comes off of the grain. It's little microscopic particles of it. And that chaff dust just gets around. And let me tell you what I can tell you about chaff dust. We'd be at the mills, we'd be at silos, and the slightest little wind would come up, and that chaff dust would just fly up. It'd go up your nose, down your throat. It'd go up your pant leg, down under your ball cap, because it takes nothing to disturb it. And here's what God says. Do the three things I've commanded, and whatever you do will prosper. But the ungodly, the not do it my way, are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. No one in their right mind wants to leave here today unstable. Nobody wants everybody to look at them and say, well, whatever you do, don't be like her, don't be like him. They're ridiculously unstable. What we want for our families, for our lives, for our nation, whatever we do shall prosper. Now God says, and Washington always pointed this out to his men, if you want this promise activated, you've got to do three things. Go back to verse 1. They're found in verse 1. It starts out, blessed is the man. Now the word blessed means right, it means blessable. Uh, can I give you some good news? God wants to bless you today. All around the world, people are trying to get God to bless them. God wants to bless you. Blessed is the man. means correct, right. Uh, by the way, how many of you have children? Hold your hand up, would you? Yeah. How many of you love your kids more than you could ever say? Hold your hand up. Yeah. How many of you want to kill them on occasion? Hold your hand up. Sure. Now, can I remind you? You love those kids. You want to bless those kids. But they got to be blessable. And there's moments when mom and dad have to be mom and dad and say, no way, no how. No, no. Young lady, where did you ever get it in your mind? Young man, how did you ever get thinking that? No. You want to bless them, but they have to be blessable. Well, God's the same way. He says, blessed is the man. Now look at the three things that he commands here. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel, and here's this word again, ungodly. What counsel did you walk in last week? Do you know what counsel is? It's the influence you let in. It's what you let in to your life to influence you. That's your counsel. Every person here is 100% in control of the counsel they let in. And God says, I do not want you to let the counsel of the not God's way stuff, the ungodly, in. Now, anybody who wants to counsel you, anybody who wants to influence you is aware that God created you with three access points. Three access points to get the counsel in. Number one is your eyes. That's why the world says, hey, look at this, look at this, watch this, watch this. Because if they can get you to watch, they're in. If your eyes see it, your mind got it. Second access point is your ears. 
Hey, listen to this, listen to this. Because if your ears hear it, you're in. The third access point is what you get meditating on. Hey, think about this, think about this. Because that's how you get in. Now, I promise you in this service, for the Lord's honor, we're doing everything we can to capture your eyes and to capture your ears. Because that's how you get in. That's why the world with such a passion wants to capture you. Now, we have powerful counsel tools. Television, radio, the Internet. And everybody wants in. And the question is, last week, what did you let in? What counsel did you give your eyes What counsel did you give your ears to? I still remember the first TV I ever saw, Pastor Tice. Uh, We lived out in the country, my grandma's farm, and they got the first TV. And I don't know if you can remember this, the pictures were awful. It was all full of white snow. How many of you remember the white snow on the, the, the screens? I mean, you could see it, but... They would say today, well, that's useless. No, we thought it was really neat. And it was only on from the mid-afternoon until the early evening. There was no tape or anything like that. It was all live. Well, neighbors had come over to watch my grandparents' TV. And I remember that when you would walk by the TV, the girl's hair would go to it. In other words, I don't know what it was radiating, but it would literally pull the girl's hair towards the TV. And then they wanted us to go up there and hold the aerial. And when you'd hold the aerial, your teeth would vibrate. I mean, you'd uh... Well, we're watching the TV, and something happened that'll never leave my mind. The guy on TV, I'll never forget his quote, he said, oh, what the heck. That's what he said. And my grandfather said, what did he say? I said, he said, oh, what the heck? He said, turn it off and put it in the barn. He said, nobody's talking in my house like that. Nobody. You see, I was raised where you didn't cuss and you couldn't use substitute words to cuss. If you use substitute words, you got disciplined too. And I said, Grandpa, he said, put it in the barn. That's not coming into our house. Your TV doesn't say, oh, what the heck anymore. How did you get comfortable with letting that counsel in? Hmm. And why would you forfeit Whatever you do will prosper for that. I was doing a trial, and the church asked me to preach on Sunday. The trial's going to start Monday, and I'm preaching. And it was during March Madness. I wanted to see some basketball scores. So after church on Sunday, I went back to my motel room, and I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, and I have the remote. How many of you like the remote, right? 
And can I remind you, it's in the Bible, the man is to hold the remote. That's in the Bible, okay? You say, Brother Gibbs, is that in there? Well, it should be in there, all right. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed and I'm channel surfing, looking for the scores, and I stopped on a channel. Now, it wasn't X, wasn't R, nothing like that. But it sure wasn't godly. They were mocking everything the Bible stands for. And I'm sitting there watching it. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, why would you trade? Whatever you do will prosper for that. Good question. You see, if you're like me, we get where we do it without even thinking about the consequence. We get where we're just watching. What we know isn't godly. Never thinking about what I'm forfeiting, what you're giving up. We have a wonderful song we teach the kids in Sunday school. Many of you, I'm sure, know this song. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. How many of you know that song? For your father up above is looking down. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. You say, well, that's a great song for the kids. Well, that's a critical song for adults. Because if you're like me, we have gotten casual with this. Now, do you understand, a short while ago, this stuff would never have been let on the TV would never have been on the radio. They would have shut it all down. But now all of a sudden it's there. And what are you going to do with it? Blessed is the man that, number one, walks not in the council, doesn't let the influence of the ungodly. Wow. Last week's gone. No one gets to redo it. There is no reset button on life. But by the grace of God, next week does not have to be like last week. And you can change it. And once again, how many of you have kids? Hold your hand up. How many of you know kids are God's little spies? How many of you are aware of that? (laughs) By the way, Mom and Dad, the kids know what you're watching. They know what we're listening to. And if you want whatever you do to prosper, it's got to start with us not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Look at the second thing he says, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now this one is exactly what it says. Wow. God says, I don't want you behaving like sinners. I don't want you standing in the way. Do you understand, if people aren't saved, if you're here and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, let me just comfort you with this. It would be impossible for you to do this list. Because you see, absent the Lord's power in your life that you get the day you get saved. When you get saved, not only does heaven become your home, but the Holy Spirit of God takes residence in your heart and life. 
And you have the ability to be what God's called you to be. But if you are saved, God says, I don't want you standing in the way of sinners. Don't you do that. Now, I have a simple little test that has helped me thousands of times obey that command. It's really simple. The Bible says the day you got saved, you became an ambassador for Jesus Christ. How many of you know that's in the Bible, right? You are an ambassador. Doesn't matter what your age is. Doesn't matter what your academic credentials are. You are an ambassador for Christ. And as an ambassador for Christ, you have one job. The job of an ambassador is to make the person who chose him look good. That's your one job. Uh, America picks an ambassador. We send them off to England. Their job is to make America look good to England. Well, your job as an ambassador for Jesus Christ is to make Jesus Christ look good. And that is by far the simplest test that I use in my life. Yesterday, did I make Jesus Christ look good? This morning, did you make the Son of God look good? Oh, it is how you do not stand in the way of sinners. And that simple little test applies to everything you do. Did you make Jesus look good? I got a call from my office, Brother Tice. I was in San Diego. And they said there's a a major, major problem. They've shut most of the airports down. There's been another terrorist alert at the highest level. Uh, Your airport's still open, but get there plenty early. They know I'm kind of prone just to arrive at the last minute. They say, get there plenty early because they're going through all the bags. They've closed all the electronics down. I said, okay, no problem. Well, I arrived at the airport four hours ahead of my flight, four hours. And when I got there, it was chaos. The airline I was on had two people working a counter, and there were two huge lines, huge lines. Each of these lines was easily over double the length of this auditorium from front to back. Maybe almost three times that length. And the minute I saw those lines, I got ticked off. How many of you, you're like me, you do not like lines? Hold your hand up, would you? Yeah. And there's two of them. And it doesn't matter which one I pick, it will be the wrong one. Okay, how many of you understand that one, right? Now, hold on. I have one job at that airport. My one job is to make Jesus Christ look good. That's my one job. But I forgot it. I'm standing in line. People all around me are mad. Oh, are they mad? They're cussing. I did not cuss. I did not. But I came close to saying amen a couple of times. I mean, wow. All the devil has to do to defeat Psalm 1 is to get you to forget your one job in life. That's all he has to do. Two and a half hours, I get to the front of the line. 
When I walked up, the lady said, Mr. Gibbs, your flight's in an hour and a half. I said, I know. She said, oh, you're never going to make it. You should have come earlier. I said, lady, if brains was gasoline, you couldn't prime an ant's motorcycle. I said, this is ridiculous. Right. She said, we don't have to get mad. I said, I'm not mad. You want to see mad? That's another whole level beyond this. I said, why don't you tell us while we're in line? She said, look, let me explain. She said, over there is the only line that gets you through security. I said, right. She said, do you see that sign? I said, yep. She said, from that sign in is over two hours. And to get to that sign takes over three hours. So you got between five and six hours of lines. Now, I got one job. Make Jesus look good. But I forgot it. By the way, most of you forgot it last week. You forgot your one job in life. I called my office. I said, get me on another flight. They said, there are no flights, zero. I said, okay, get me a rental car. They said, there are no rental cars on planet Earth right now, none. I said, get me a motel room. They said, there's more rental cars than motel rooms. There are none. Have you ever said, how did I get in this mess? How many of y'all have ever said that? How did I get in this mess? I took the boarding pass. I walked out and got to the end of that security line, which went over a man bridge and then was meandering back and forth in the parking lot. Now, I'm standing outside, and I got one job in that line. Make the Son of God look good. Do not stand in the way of sinners. That's my job. But I'm just sitting there really upset. And suddenly I hear somebody call my name. Brother Gibbs, Brother Gibbs. And I look up and here comes a guy. I don't know his name, but I recognize him. He's a preacher. And he's coming at me and he's saying, Oh, Brother Gibbs, so good to see you, so good to see you. And I said, Lord, I am not in the mood to mess with a preacher right now. I'm just not. How many of you all know there's times you do not want to see the preacher? How many of you are aware of that, right? This was one of them. This guy's all bubbly. He comes up by me. Oh, Brother Gibbs, Brother Gibbs, so good to see you. I said, yeah, good to see you too, right? He said, oh, man, I heard you preach a couple weeks ago. I said, oh, great. He said, you remember what you preached on? I said, no. He said, you preached on this is the day the Lord hath made and what, Brother Gibbs? I said, we'll rejoice and be glad in it. I'm glad you remembered that, okay. And I'm looking at him, and honestly, I told the Lord, I said, God, his mental elevators aren't hitting any of the upper floors. They're just not. What kind of a nut? He's just going on and on, and he keeps telling me, this is so neat out here, isn't it? Just so neat, so wonderful. And finally, I had it. And I said, what do you think is so wonderful about this? This is ridiculous. He said, oh, you haven't figured it out. I said, I haven't figured what out? He said, Brother Gibbs, 
all these people are upset. I said, well, I figured that out. (laughs) And he said, they're all hearing about and talking about the planes that have gone down. I said, I know that. And they're all wondering, should they get on a plane? Because what happens if it goes down? He said, Brother Gibbs, they're all afraid to die. He said, this is the easiest soul winning you've ever done in your life. He said, watch this. We're going this way. A line's coming this way. He taps on the guy's shoulder, and he turns to us. And my friend said, crazy day, isn't it? And the guy said, it sure is. He said, makes you wonder whether you ought to get on the plane or not. And before the guy could answer, his wife jumped in. How many of you men know women will answer the phone when it doesn't even ring? I mean, they just are in. She said, will you talk some sense into my husband's head? I've been telling him for five hours there's no way we should get on an airplane today. Neither one of us has any idea what would happen if we died today. We need to go home. This is insane. My friend said, you know, I think you're going to be just fine. But I have something here I want to give you. He said, this can tell you how, whatever day you do die, to know for positive you'll go to heaven. Can I give it to you? And he went to hand it, and the guy was ready to take and the wife grabbed it. And she said, I'll read it to him. (laughs) Now what happened next was amazing. Four people that way and three people that way said, have you got any more of those? He said, I do. And he turned to me and he said, isn't this great out here? He said, isn't this wonderful? And he's handing out these tracks. Wow. He said, now, Brother Gibbs, we do have a problem out here. I said, what's the problem? He said, your face. If you're only going to hear one thing, hear this. Your face is God's billboard. Everybody reads it. Everybody. He said, Brother Gibbs, you look as upset as everybody else. He said, here's a packet of tracks. He said, fix your face and go get them. What would it take for you to start remembering This afternoon, you got one job in life, and that's to make the Son of God look good. Tomorrow in rush hour, you got one job. Make the Son of God look good. It's the simplest test I know. I use it dozens of times every day, and it has helped me not stand in the way of sinners. The first key is, You absolutely got to stop the wrong counsel. The second key is you got to remember you got one job in life to make the Son of God look good. Look at the third thing he commands and will be done. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know what a scornful person is? It's a gripe, it's a complainer, it's a critic. Do you realize it is a sin to gripe? 
Oh, Brother Gibbs. No, it's a sin to gripe. The Bible says, in everything give thanks. That's what it says, everything. It says, let your speech be always with grace. Always. Every time a child of God gripes or complains, it's a sin. It breaks the heart of God. Because we're commanded not to do it. Whoa. Well, I, I, I don't gripe like some people gripe. That's why he says, get out of the seat. God says, I don't want you to do it at all. Don't forget this. In the Old Testament, the God you serve killed more of the children of Israel for griping than all of their sins combined times three. If you wonder whether God takes griping seriously, he killed more of them for griping than he did for idolatry times three. When's the last time you said, I'm done griping? I'm done. I'm not going to gripe about big things. not going to gripe about little. I'm not going to gripe about anything. Yeah, but Brother Gibbs, if we don't gripe, what will we talk about? <laughs> I want to caution you. Griping is an addictive sin. Have you ever seen somebody who cusses so much that that cussing finally becomes their speech habit? And they'll cuss and they don't even know they're cussing. Griping will do that to you. You'll gripe so much it will become you. Now the Bible says we're supposed to, by command of God, edify one another. We're to build one another up. Well, you can't do that and be griping. I arrived at a motel. It was about four in the morning. I was very late. Had to be in court the next morning. Nice lady at the counter. I said, I got to be down to the courthouse at 7.30. I need this wake-up call. She said, no problem. I went up to my room, a nice, fairly nice new motel. And something happened in that room. I hope never happens again. My room had no running water, none. None in the sink, none in the shower, none in the commode. There was no running water. So I called down to the front desk and I told the girl, I said, my room has no running water. I don't know what she should have said, but what she said ticked me off. I said, my room has no running water. She said, I know. It's four in the morning. I said, what do you mean, you know? She said, I can't explain it. Yours is the only room in the whole place with no running water. And she said, it wasn't going to be your room. It was another guy's room. But he was so mad about no water, we gave him your room and you this room because we didn't think you were coming. You were so late. I said, young lady, you owe your mother an apology for the day you were born. I unloaded. Don't you look at me like that. You've all unloaded. I said, to call you stupid would be to defame the word. I said, this is ridiculous. I just went on and on. 
Finally, I said, you still there? She's not saying a word. She said, yeah, I'm still here. I said, you got anything to say? Anything? She said, well, since you ask, I got one thing to say. I said, I want to hear it. What? What? She said, I go to a Bible college where you come preach every year. And she said, when you were in my home church, you signed my Bible. I said, hey, you knew I was kidding, right? (laughs) I could have died. I went down by her, literally got on my knees and said, what I did to you broke the heart of God. By the way, every time you gripe, you break the heart of God. She said, oh, it was my fault for not... I said, no, no, no. And you get this. God never said, don't gripe unless you're justified. You don't gripe, period. Well, you say, Brother Gibbs, that'd be life-changing for me. Indeed. I said, I'd never want somebody to do to my wife what I did to you or my daughter. Boy, I asked her forgiveness. About a year later, Pastor, I was in her home church. And I knew it was her home church. And I walked in and I'm talking with the pastor, and he said, You know, a girl in our church said she met you at a motel once. <laughs> I said, Oh, how about that? And I decided to play dumb. How many of y'all have ever tried to play dumb, right? I just decided to play dumb. I said, where was this motel now? And I said, yeah, I think I remember her. I said, what'd she tell you? He said, Brother Gibbs, what she said was, it was such a privilege to meet you and such an honor to help you get to court and how she prays for you and loves you. I said, that's what she told you? (laughs) He said, yeah. I said, she didn't say any more than that? He said, no. I said, preacher, let me tell you what I did to her. And I told him the whole story. I said, she didn't tell you any of that? He said, Brother Gibbs, she's too good of a Christian to ever complain about you. She never complains about anything. Brother Gibbs, she's an orphan. She has no idea who her parents are or what her real birthday is. Brother Gibbs, when you told her you should apologize to your mother, she doesn't know who her mother is. You must have cut her to the quick. But Brother Gibbs, she never complains. Never. I said, preacher, I want to be like her. Because that's what we're commanded to be. Do you want whatever you do to prosper? Well, God says there's three conditions. Number one, you've got to stop the not God's way counsel. You're 100% in control of what you give your eyes and ears to. You're 100% in control of what you meditate on. 
And God says, I want you to stop it. Then he says, I want you to remember you got one job in life, and that's to make the Son of God look good. What a simple test. And then he says, stop the griping. Stop it. Ladies, please listen to me. It is not that ladies gripe more than men. They don't. But they are better at it. And you say, why would you say that? Because you have these beautiful countenances, your faces. And your faces are so expressionful. How many of you men know you can see a lady's face at 900 yards in the dark when they're upset? How many of you men know that? Hold your hand up, would you? How many of you say, I'd raise my hand, but I'll have that look all day long, and I don't want to live with it, Brother Gibbs. Oh, listen. You know where the kids learn to gripe? From mom and dad. Most of the kids master the sin of griping from what they hear at home. Stop it. By the grace of God, stop it. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.